episode is actually facing reality, so that's the topic and the theme we've been working with. So we actually wanted to sit down and talk to you about getting out of the rut and, and facing turning point situations and how you handle that. But for those that don't know who you are, Jim, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Jim McGowan. I'm a tax partner with Deloitte. I've been practicing for 31 years. I'm 53 years old, born and bred in uh, Halifax. I have a lovely wife and two girls and a dog I love to death. Amazing. What's the dog's name? Cash. Cash. Cash Money McGowan. Okay. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Okay, well, before you got to this point in life, take us back to your childhood and uh, what it was like growing up in Halifax and the influences you had around you. So, I had a great kind of middle class upbringing, wonderful family, very supportive. I was taught, you know, hard work, attitude will lead to success. And if you do those two things, and I really didn't, didn't have much in the way of of uh, adversity at all. But it was a very narrow background. I think I mentioned to you, to you gentlemen that the, in my neighborhood there was one black family, there were two Asian families, and that was it. That was it. So my world was very small, and it was, uh, it was a great world. But, uh, you know, as, as life goes on and the journey, and the journey takes place, your, your experiences expand and your perspective exp expands, and mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's been wonderful so far. So that's right. my background. Right. Okay, so where would you say you're on a journey now? Oh, I would hope to think I'm only midway. Mm -hmm. uh, some would say I'm probably a little further along, but it's amazing how much you learn uh, in life. And, and one of the biggest things you learn, particularly at my age, is the little things that, that used to bother you don't bother you anymore. I had a wise man once say to me, you know, if you're worried about something, ask yourself the question, is it going to bother you in six months? If the answer is no, it's really not that important. And what I found when I was younger, and a lot of younger people, they worry about things that are really not important in the, in the big scheme of things. So I'm still in the middle of, of learning this journey, and I learned a lot from you guys through this process, and it's been, it's been great for me. And so I wake up every day, and at my age, I'm just happy to open my eyes. And then uh, it's a great way to spend, spend life knowing that you're going to learn something every day, and you're hopefully going to help somebody in the process. So, so before you were able to maybe come to that realization, you know, during your university years and, and the transition phases that, you know, we're going through and I know you, you experienced yeah. and touched on, maybe as you went through your transitions, sure. what, what did that look like? Because, you know, I'm sure you didn't have no problems. No, no, you know, it's funny, it reminds me of the story when I was, when I was graduating, I, I was very lucky. Uh, I'd done very well in university. I was I was very lucky to have several offers coming out of uh, university, and uh, I picked a, a job where I knew I'd be very flexible. I really didn't want to close any doors, so I decided to go with a chartered accounting firm. Uh, I did very well there. Got my uh, got my chartered account accountancy designation, and then I. Uh, Decided I wanted to become an investment banker because back in the mid-80s, that's a long time ago, it was, it was the thing to do and I wanted to work on Wall Street. And so I applied to several high-level universities. I, supply, I applied to Harvard, Dartmouth, Stanford. Uh, the best school in the world at the time was Northwestern, which was my first choice, uh, and Western Ontario. And uh, the, my, my mentor, who was a former professor here, uh, who was signing my, my papers said, look, you know, you're not going to get into Harvard, you're not going to get into Dartmouth because that's for Olympic class athletes and geniuses and you're neither. <laughs> I was a good student and I was a good athlete, primarily through hard work and attitude, maybe not an abundance of ability. And uh, so I applied and uh, sure enough, I didn't get into Harvard. I didn't get into Dartmouth. And uh, uh, it was tough because somebody had, for the first time in my life, somebody had evaluated me and decided, you know, you're not good enough. 
And that was very difficult. And even though I did get into to Northwestern and Stanford, which were my first choices, I had to stop. I had to think, geez, you know, what, what could I have done differently? What, what could I have tried harder? Could I have worked harder? But it was a real turning point for me. And I knew this, this decision that I made would really dictate where the rest of my life goes. You're going to find as you're growing up, there are turning points in your life. And you'll know when you're in the middle of them. That if you make a decision to go in this direction, your life will take a different path. And I was in one of those, those points. And so I, I, I took the moment and I stepped back and I asked myself the question, what's really important to you? Like, what really matters? Because I was going to go to investment banking. And investment banking is all about me and all about making money for me. And at the same time, there was a, a major financial crash. It's called Black Monday in the financial markets. And so I asked myself the question, what's really important to me? And I decided that serving others is what I wanted to do. I really wanted to serve others. I didn't know how I wanted to serve others, but I stepped back and I said, yeah, that, that's really what I want to do. And so I decided to take a different course. And I didn't go the investment banking route. I decided I'd go and I'd specialize in tax because I figured everybody needs tax help, not just the wealthy, but many people who can't afford to have their tax returns done and they don't know what they're doing. And I had a relative who had passed away and their parents were struggling because they had to do the tax return and it was just a difficult time for them. And I thought, you know, I could learn that. I could do tax returns for people that, that maybe couldn't afford to do it. And so for the past 30 years, I've been at Northwood Clinic uh, helping the elderly doing their tax returns and it's very, very rewarding. And so what was a stumble and I thought was the end of the world at the time was really an opportunity for me to step back. And what I learned from that is when you're faced with these obstacles, step back, take a deep breath, and ask yourself the question, what, what's, what's really important to you? And when you can answer that question, and ask it in the broadest sense, when you can answer that question, it allows you to see things differently. And then I took a different path, and so I ended up uh, you know, going the tax route, did something completely different. I know that if I had gone the investment banking route, I would have gone to the States and never come back. I've taken a different route, and uh, it's been wonderful. But I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't had somebody at Harvard say, you're not good enough. And that's what I had. That, that was a challenge to you know, your identity and, and your life story as it was playing out in, in your mind at that time, I can only imagine. And so what did that look like, the amount of energy that you had to, I think, muster up to be able to step back? Because you know, as a university is the age of discovery, and you're really trying to figure out what you're passionate about, how did you go about stepping back in, in the sense that maybe it was a, there's the emotional aspect of that, you know, you're telling me I'm not good enough, but where, like, how did you apply your logic to, okay, well, I need to calm down, I need to take a minute to step back and figure out what it is that I'm passionate about? You know, I, I believe that, that everything happens for a reason, and, and I think that, that uh, you know, I, I looked at that as an opportunity, because quite frankly, nobody really said no to me before. Because I was the guy on the team that was maybe not the best, but I worked the hardest. So I always made the team. And I was always successful because I had great attitude and I worked really hard. And I was always there for others. But you know, life isn't always fair. And I remember my dad saying to me, you know, life isn't fair. Don't expect life to be fair. Don't expect because you're a good guy for good things to happen to you. And, and really the measure of somebody is when something unfortunate happens to you and how you how you react to it and so it really it it forced me to look at it and I, and I i didn't realize at the time but as i stepped back and i thought i had some time i thought this is a real important decision and maybe part of the decision has been made for me maybe there's a reason why i don't uh, 
I'm not going to go to the U.S. and I'm not going to be an investment banker. And it, it is tough and you got to take ego out of it. And it was difficult for me because I'd been successful. But, but I knew that there was something different for me, something better for me. And, uh, and I, I followed that. And I, I had an ex-girlfriend, uh, and when you reach my age, you've got lots of ex-girlfriends. <laughs> but uh, I had an ex-girlfriend once say to me, you know, if you're going to make a decision, it's up to you to make it the right decision. The life is full of decisions. Sometimes you make good decisions, sometimes you make bad decisions. And every decision has a consequence. But once you make a decision, it's up to you to make it the right decision. Don't think about what if. Life's a journey. Everything, you know, you have bad things happen to you, you can have good things happen to you. It all makes you the person you are. You learn from the bad, you cherish the good. So, it, obviously it seems like you learned a lot from your setbacks. Maybe yeah. change your mindset a little bit more, because I know it's not always easy starting that new path. You might have people, you know, maybe not agree with you, maybe family members or people important in your life, but it seemed like you were focused, right? So could you maybe take us back to one of your biggest setbacks and how you sure. propelled through it? Sure. By far and away the biggest setback. I, I, I had a lot of success while I was at the firm and I've been asked to move several times. And in 2008, they, they asked me, the firm asked me to move to Calgary to manage the Alberta practice. It was a big promotion. And they had, the firm had great, great visions as to what they wanted to do. And it's a real uh, opportunity for me. And as much as I didn't want to leave Halifax uh, and told them I'd only go if I could come back, uh, they said, fine, but we've got great plans for you. So I moved to Calgary. And I was to manage the practice, and unfortunately, if, if you remember, in 2008, there was a ma major financial crisis. Lehman Brothers crashed, the markets had crashed, there's a real credit crunch, and the firm's plans changed, and their, their plans for me changed. And so, many of the promises that were made to me weren't kept, and it upset me. Uh, you know, I was really getting, uh, I was really getting uh, the short end of the stick, if you will. And I spent a lot of time raging against the machine. This is, uh, this is unfair, this has happened to me. I had great plans and you're not allowing me to do things. And I really felt like I had my hands tied. Did that for two years. And I had a colleague come into my office one day and he sat me down and he said, you know, yeah, he said, you've been screwed over. He said, yeah, you haven't been treated fairly. Your situation is dire and everybody knows that you've been treated unfairly. But that's the way it is. So what are you gonna do about it? You're gonna just sit there and complain about it or are you going to take with the situation that you've been given and make the best of it? And I remember going home that day and thinking, I hated the guy. I really did. I really hated him for saying that. But again, I, I, it was one of those times where you kind of stop and you say, maybe, maybe he's got a point. Raging against the machine isn't working. Maybe he's got a point. And so I looked at my situation and the old saying, you know, when you're given lemons, make lemonade. And that, that's really what I tried to do. I said, okay, this situation is not great, so I'm going to take this situation and make the best out of it I could. And my attitude changed com completely. And it was all about making things happen. And since for, that, for the next two years, we were able to double the practice and we had great, great success. And when the time came to go back, they asked me to stay and, and it was a difficult decision. But it was, it was one of those things that, that I could have easily just continued to complain. I could have left the firm, a place that I love to work. Uh, and it wasn't my fault. But it doesn't matter whose fault it is. Life isn't fair. You're given these situations. And, and you know, my dad used to say, the measure of a man is not really what he accomplishes in life. It's how he reacts to difficult situations. We all have difficult situations. You can either complain about it, or you can turn it around and do the best that you can. So 
that's what I did. It was it was a real learning experience for me, and and, and really coming into coming through to grips with the fact that you know I'm a pretty good guy. I mean I'm a nice guy. I try to do right by people. Good things happen to bad people. Life isn't fair, and you need to understand that, and you need to accept that, and you need to accept what happens, and, and you know. Uh, Gandhi, uh, Gandhi has a saying, he says, uh, uh, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Mm. And if you yeah. think about that, pain is inevitable, we all feel pain, suffering is optional. So what you do with that and how you react is important. And, uh, you know, you see these struggles, and life is such a journey. And a friend, friend used to say that, that life is a climb, but the view is great. Take a look at your situation and recognize that everything that happens in life happens for a reason. And it makes you the type of person that you are. The good things strengthen you, toughen you, you learn. People can let you down, people can disappoint you, you learn to, to accept that. But then the good things are that much better. I have a favorite movie of mine, Vanilla Sky with uh, Tom Cruise and Penelope. Tom Cruise and Penelope Cruise, actually. And, and one of the main characters says in the, uh, says in the thing, you know, uh, you can't truly appreciate the sweet until you've tasted the sour. Mm. And that's important. And so these setbacks and all these setbacks that we go through, we think they're the worst thing in the world. Ask yourself, is it going to bother you in six months? And if it's not going to bother you in six months, not a big deal. And you'll look back and you'll say, hey, I learned a lot from that. And I'm a different person, most likely a better person as a result. So mm. Obviously, uh, from the time you were a young age, uh, your dad taught you that attitude is everything. So kind of leading up to how you respond to certain situations and certain setbacks will ultimately determine the outcome, yeah. right? Um, so do you have anything, maybe your values or anything else that keeps you grounded in times where you're facing difficult situations to kind of refocus you that, I mean, put your focus, sorry, on uh, how you're gonna react. Um, so how are you gonna go about it, if you know what I'm trying to say? That's a great question. There's two things. I have great faith. I believe in the Lord great faith, and I believe that he will take care of me. Mm. Not everybody does. But what people don't remember, particularly people blessed enough to live here, we are so lucky. We have so many gifts that we don't appreciate. And I often say to my wife who worries about everything, you know, and I'll say it to you guys, these are the good old days. And think about that for a second. Everybody uses that phrase and they talk about the past. You think about, think about your situation. You got your health, you're getting a great education, you live in a wonderful place. Hopefully your family is healthy. You know, you have a roof over your head, you have food on the table. All of those blessings, at some point in time, will disappear. You'll lose family members. Your health won't be, when you reach my age, your health won't be where it was at your age. Whenever I get faced with a difficult situation, I step back and I ask myself, how lucky am I? In the big scheme of things, how lucky am I? I lost my dad suddenly. I worked very closely with my dad and loved him to death. I lost him uh, a few years, well, a few years ago, 13 years ago. And um, uh, I got the call. I was, I was going to the Hall of Fame game in Canton, Ohio, middle of the summer. And I got the call that he died of a heart attack. And so I had to hop a plane in Cleveland and I actually wrote the eulogy on the flight, on the flight back. I remember my wife greeting me with tears in her eyes and I remember saying to her, remember the good old days? Remember I talked about the good old days? 
Move them the good old days are gone. They'll never come back. And so what I would suggest to people listening to this is remember how lucky we are compared to so many other people. You know, so many other people around the world. We're just so lucky to live in North America, and particularly in Canada. But just think about the blessings that you have and appreciate those things. And when I'm faced with something very difficult, I step back and I just realize, man, I'm pretty lucky. I'll get through this because I have all of, all of these things. I think it's super important to have the ability to be present because taking a step back is very hard, especially when you're in a situation, you're challenged, someone's challenging who you are, your perception, your identity, and, the, and things like that. But as you said, you know, you've been going through the process and, and learning things from your dad and, and friends and, and people, that, you know, your support, set, your support network and system. How did you kind of develop those tools to be able to step back and be present? Because it's easier said than done. And after practice and lots of practice, you're going to get better at it. But maybe how did you practice those? Or yeah. maybe are there a few things in, in your daily routine that you force yourself to be present with? Yeah, That's a great question. And I wish I was as present as I sat. Um, it's e it was easier for me than it is for you at your age. Because you, you need to understand that when I came, when I, when I started with the firm in 1985, you guys weren't born, we didn't have cell phones. So when I communicated with people, it was face-to-face, -face, sometimes by the phone, but face-to-face. -face. And so my generation is used to that. And I, I often say to people your age that, that technology can make you so powerful, but at the same time can rob you of your very humanness. Being able to reach out and touch somebody and actually make an impact on somebody's life. And so what I do is I, every time I wake up in the morning and, and I, Gene Simmons, the lead singer for one of the lead singers from KISS used to say, uh, every day above ground is a good day. And, and I, as funny as that sounds, it, it's true. And so I wake up every day and I ask myself the question, what can I do that can impact somebody in a positive way? And, you know, I used to do a little meditation. I don't have an attention span for it. I wish I did. But I, I'm always asking myself that question. What can I do to help somebody because ultimately at the end of the day <clears throat> all you have is the impact that you leave with others and so what what can you do and how can you step back and realize it's not about you <clears throat> he's just saying that uh, people won't remember what you say but remember how they how you made them feel and so I'm constantly and I have to do it every day every day I wake up and it's the first thing I think about what can I do make a difference in, in someone's life. How can I make somebody's life a little better? And, uh, you know, I'm certainly not perfect. I have my flaws, lots of them. My wife will tell you all about them. But, uh, but if you can remember those things, you know, and, and life becomes so much sweeter because it's not about the money you have in the bank account. It's about knowing that you've helped somebody along the way. It doesn't cost anything to be kind, right? That's what I love about Hellbacks. People are kind here. People are nice here. They go out of their way to be nice. And so when I go to larger centers, um, I try to be kind and I try to be nice and they look at you like, where are you from? Type thing. But uh, I, I, it's just a matter of reminding myself of the importance of, of doing kind things and how blessed I am and how fortunate I am. Just um, thinking about how you came to the point to have such a significant value for human connection, because I think it is undervalued and 
people overlook it maybe because of all the things that are coming at us on a daily basis. Yeah. Technology or, you know, we're, we have all these influences in the school system, our peers become our, our biggest influence or whatever it may be. So was it from your upbringing or was it, is it from your values that, or your perspective on life that you have that value for creating a, a human connection, improving someone's life every day you wake up? So, so I'm a reasonably smart guy, but I'm not a genius. <laughs> I'm not a genius. My wife will tell you that. In fact, she's often said, you know, I'm smarter than you are. <laughs> Life is not about being the smartest guy in the room. It's not about being the most hardworking, although both of those things are helpful. Life is about making a connection with somebody so that they genuinely like you, that they genuinely want to follow you. If you're a leader, you want people to follow you. So the human connection becomes important. And because I wasn't the smartest guy in the room, or maybe the hardest working. I was pretty smart now, but I worked hard. But I also knew that if, if you can make a connection with somebody, if you can actually look at somebody and connect with them, it'll make all the difference in the world because you'll, you'll make them feel like they're the only person in the room. And at the end of the day, and this is the challenge that you guys face at your age, is that you have so much technology. I wasn't burdened with this technology. I had no choice. I would go into a room and I would have to carry on a conversation. I'd have to understand. Um, you know, what made them tick and what was important to them. That was my only form of communication, so I wasn't burdened with what you had. But I would say that with all of the, the forms of communication you have, those individuals in your generation who learn to make that connection, who actually learn to connect with people, they will rise to the top far more quickly than my generation because you will stand out like a sore thumb. You will be so unique. You know, and, and you know, I see you guys in the gym, I'm in the gym every day. You can, you can tell who's under 30 and who's not. Because those under 30 are texting in between sets, mm. right? I'm just enjoying the fact that I can do this and just how it makes me feel. I'm not worried about who I need to, to connect with. Mm. And at the end of the day, you know, you guys are no different than I was 30 years ago. People want to feel a connection. We're all humans, and until we're replaced we're, you know, by something robotic, it's all about what's in here, right? And how people feel about you. And I, I've said to many people, and I'll put the pitch in here, you know, there's a book that is, is extremely influential. It's called how, how to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. And I am telling you, that book is spectacular. And I'll leave you with one, one final story. The book's great, because the chapters are short. And uh, they always use, I mean, he always uses an example to make his point. And he says, the example he uses, he said, I'm going to describe something to you that never works a day in its life. You clean up after it. Uh, you, you know, it, it doesn't talk back to you. It, uh, it, it really doesn't do anything. Uh, you do everything. It costs you a lot of money to have this thing. And when this thing leaves your life, you're devastated. Like, Devastated, and for those listening to this, they'll know what I'm talking about when I tell you what I'm talking about. And and he said, "That's a dog." He said, "Why do people love dogs?" You think about it; they don't do anything. They don't work. They cost a fortune. You come, go around with a plastic bag and clean up after them. Why is it? I'll tell you why. Because dogs show you unconditional love. When you walk through that door, doesn't matter how. What kind of mood you're in? He loves you to death. And when Cat and I went through that door, Cash is always there to greet me. His tail is wagging, and he is so happy to see me. 
And the lesson there is if you want to connect with people, show an unconditional interest in them. Right? In the book they use unconditional love, that can get creepy. But <laughs> if you show an unconditional interest in somebody and their well-being and you want them to do well, you want to help them, they'll feel that. It's got to be genuine, because if it's not, they'll feel that too. Mm -hmm. But if it's genuine, people will follow you to the ends of the world, and they will listen to you, and they will connect with you. And that is that. And, and the dog is a classic example. I use that one over. I use that all the time because people get it, especially pet owners. And if you've lost a pet, there's nothing worse. Why is it? Because dogs, although they will take you off, never intentionally hurt you. They just want to love you. And at the end of the day, as silly as it sounds. The Beatles said it well, 30 years ago, all you need is love. It's, it is about that. It is about caring. And when you guys asked me to do this, I thought, well, this, is, this, this helps you guys. Glad to do it, right? Because I'm genuinely interested in taking some of the mistakes that I've made in life and hopefully showing somebody the ways, my, the error of my way so they don't make them themselves. I don't want to shortchange any of the message, but if you had a, a recommendation to yourself, former self, at any age, what recommendation would you give? Uh, it would be that don't sweat the small stuff. Again, another great book, but don't sweat the small. Don't worry about to be true to yourself. Appreciate what you have. And, and, and I go back to that six-month thing. If I, if I spent, you spent all this time worrying, right? You spent all this time worrying about what you're going to do on that exam or what you're going to do with the, you know, the girlfriend or the boyfriend you're having trouble with. And worry, you can't. You know, somebody said to me once, don't worry about what you can't control. If you can't control it, you, you shouldn't worry about it. And that's easier said than done, but if you keep thinking about that, you know, life life goes by and slips by. And, and you know, your age, you wouldn't realize it, but at my age, you realize how fast the years go mm -hmm. by. And so, if I could go back, I would say, look, don't, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't worry about the things. Don't worry about the things you can't control. The end of the day, as long as you take care of the important things, the rest of it takes care of itself. And before we let you go, I just want to ask: Would you have the same recommendations for others in terms of getting out of the rut or facing turning points? Oh, absolutely. A, a turning point is nothing more than an opportunity to reflect on where you are. And um, you know, we all have difficult things happen. Seize that moment. Because it's very easy when life is going well. You don't learn much when life is going well. When you're in a rut or you're in a, you're in a challenging situation, take that moment to reflect and understand why, how you got into that situation, what you might have done differently, and learn. And anybody who's reached a certain age will tell you they've learned so much more in life from the challenging times than from the thing, times when things were going well. And it becomes, believe it or not, you don't know it at the time, it's a blessing. You will grow so much more as an individual during those challenges. Thank you so much for taking the time My pleasure. My pleasure. You guys are doing great work and I'm glad I could be a part of it. Hi, I'm Jim McGowan and this is my boy.